Oh, I think I got lucky. It only takes 24 times. Or was it 25? Oh, I lost count. I think it's 25. Oh, man. The 25th time's a charm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I really like your slurp. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. Every time you sniff, I'm going to go... And Mandy. And we are your hosts today and every day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mandy, what's new and good with you? New and good. I mean, so I said I had breakfast today of chips and salsa, and I got it at the Phoenix Vegan Night Market last night. I guess by the time this comes out, it was two nights ago. It's rare that we're recording an intro so close to the, quite so close to the pod release, but, um, Oh my gosh, the Phoenix Vegan Night Market. Our buddy Josh was on a couple weeks ago and talked about how he was trying to get the event going and it looked like it was going to happen and it did. I did tease it a little bit on our Instagram page. So if people were paying attention, they might have seen it there. I No one specifically came up to me that I'm aware of and said like, hey, I saw this on your podcast page, but I saw a ton of people I knew. So this is the first Yay. event, like public event yeah. I've done since February of 2020. So more than a year ago. Yeah, because it was like two weeks before the um, pandemic was declared was the last event and everything shut down. So I was like, oh gosh, what's it going to be like pulling all my stuff out again? And it was kind of fun. Like this was the most relaxed I've ever gone into an event. Yeah, being you that were it, telling me that it was most relaxed. It was so great. Like, I'm never relaxed going into an event. I'm always like last, like just everything's always down to the wire. I'm like rushing and I'm doing so much. And um, it was nice that it was a Saturday night because you know, obviously I work all week. I didn't have to take any time off of work to bake and prep. And then I didn't have to like rush around on a Friday night to an event. Like a lot of events are on Fridays and I'm like hustling to do things and it just feels like it's nonstop. And it was kind of nice having it on a Saturday because I didn't, again, a Saturday night because I didn't have to like, a lot of events take place on a Saturday or during the day. So you're, even though the events might not open until 10 a.m., vendors were all there between 7 and 8 a.m. setting up our tent, setting up our booths, finding our stuff. You have to like haul shit across these giant parks Mm -hmm. you know because like a lot of times you can't drive onto the park so you're wagoning everything in and it's like trip after trip after trip Mm -hmm. and then you're setting up and you're sweating by 8 30 in the morning and then the gates aren't even you know you're done setting up around 9 9 30 and then the gates open at 10 and go 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 and then it's yeah once with me with sweets it's not usually such a crazy rush in the beginning for events it's like usually people come and like only the diehards like (laughs) the real ones show up early and get cupcakes because they know things sell out and if they want the best selection if they want their flavors Mm -hmm. they will show up early and get their cupcakes you know they come in a container and they'll like move on to get their other food everybody else goes and gets their savory salty you know they start to get all their other stuff like um appetizer stuff and then the main dishes and then they'll get make their way to then they want their sweets so then they make their way to me but last night it was like people were in the door before we even started officially. Oh, wow. 
I was like, it's not even six o'clock yet. I see people standing at my booth and I'm like, oh, I better go over there. So I like made my way over. It was, just, it was friends. So it was like people I knew. And uh-huh. uh, it was really fun seeing a bunch of people. Like there were only 16 vendors. I probably knew half of them. Like the other half I knew of, but I hadn't actually met yet. So I got to meet a lot of new vendors. I got to make some like new kind of acquaintances and um, chat with another baker who's really new on the event scene. And she had a lot of questions for me. So it was really cute kind of being mentorish. Yeah. Like sometimes it's hard to know where people come from when they're asking sort of interrogation yeah, feeling. What like, their intentions are. Yeah, you're like, uh, wait, who are you? What yeah. <laughs> What can I help you with? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really cute getting to meet her and like just kind of tell her, you know, yeah. what I'm up to. And she's like, oh my gosh, you do all that? I'm like, oh, I do so much more. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like, you do this in a home kitchen? I'm like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I did all this last night. She's like, you did everything last <laughs> night? I'm like, yeah, it took me about four hours. She's like, oh my, it's all four hours. She's like, it takes me like 12 to do this. <laughs> well, you also. I was like, I I've mean, been doing it for yeah, four years. I was going to say. It's kind of like the whole Picasso thing about how, you know, he can draw a picture in 30 seconds, but it took him 30 years to learn how to do it in 30 seconds. And so for mm-hmm. you, you know, you've been doing this for four years. Yeah. I bet in the beginning, it probably did take you closer to 12 hours. And now, it's, oh, yeah, you you know, you learn how to be more efficient because mm-hmm. you, be, you build in processes mm-hmm. after you've learned tips and tricks. And, things, yeah. you know, so I was like, oh, girl, you would not even believe like the amount of equipment that I have in my house, like cabinets full of cupcake tins and like I have to have enough I had to I had to figure out when I was doing big events and I would bake like 50 to 60 dozen in a day 60 dozen is my record wow in one day and how many dozens did you uh so for last night Mm -hmm. it was the first event of its kind no paid advertising all just word of mouth we threw it together we I say we because like I was basically like a consultant (laughs) (laughs) I mean but it got like Josh been working on it for so long and he had a lot of people who were like earmarking it but when it came down to it it was really fast and a lot of vendors book up events so it was like kind of hustling to get vendors in there and lined Mm -hmm. up so and it turned out having 16 vendors wow that's a lot it's small though it's intimate like that's not a lot like those big events have a hundred oh okay like then still 16 for for quick put together grassroots kind of effort yeah I mean, we had on a Saturday night and there's after a, or yeah. during a pandemic. And a lot of people do markets during the day on Saturdays. So it's a big ask for a lot of vendors. And it's just those are long days. If you're oh, pulling yeah. morning markets and you decide to do an evening one, which a couple of the people there did. Oh, wow. I mean, that's a big day. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are in there right away. I'm seeing friends like just Instagram friends who I know in real life, friends from other events. I saw like my hair girl showed up. She's Aww. also vegan. But yeah, it's so fun. I saw so many people. Out. Yes. So I baked eight dozen because okay. I was like, okay, my first event, like the the events that we were doing, like Zen Nights in Mesa, mm-hmm. I was averaging like 10 to 12 dozen just depending on the month and how busy it was. But I was like, this is its first event. We've had 10 days or so to like actually put word out to get people to this event, maybe 11. I mean, it wasn't very long. And it's downtown. It's in this random parking lot. There's no like real marker for where it is. And it's like, how many people are going to show up? You know, you just don't know. It's About like, how many do you think showed up? Would you estimate? Oh, I have no idea. Hundreds. Oh, hundreds. multiple hundreds. Hundreds and hundreds. That's great. Probably 
I mean, I would imagine there was 500 people, but I don't know if Josh was, I don't know if anybody was keeping count at the gate. They were limiting the amount of people that they would let in at once and like cut for capacity for like COVID issues. And every city of Phoenix is under a mask mandate right now. So everybody was masked the whole time. Most people were really good about it. I did see one or two people kind of, you know, doing their own thing, not wearing a mask, but everybody was really good about it. Everybody was really compliant, really respectful. There were no issues. We had music. I sold out. I had eight dozen cupcakes. I had like Mandy bars and I had packs of Funfetti cookies. I had about 12 dozen goods on the table total. I sold out by seven. Oh, that's an hour. In an hour. That is incredible. I'm so proud and happy for you. It's exciting, Um, but but it's also upsetting. Like at 630, I was like, oh no. Yeah. (laughs) Like, seriously, oh, no. Like, part of the business person in me goes, fuck, now I'm here all night not making, like, for free. Now I'm just here the rest of the night for free. The rest of me, I mean, it's exciting to sell out. It's like, wow, that was amazing. And then I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Because, like, if you're, if you're people coming in there because I've told you to come, then I don't have anything left. And I'm like, fuck. It's not like I didn't try, but, like. I thought that was a good amount. I thought I honestly thought that would last me until about eight or eight thirty. And about eight or eight thirty is the point of the like that's the time of night where those events usually calm down and get mm-hmm. quieter and mm-hmm. people start to leave. So I really thought I had enough for at least two hours. And um, I underestimated the awesomeness of my flavors. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, the awesomeness of you. Yeah, I uh, I took a chocolate lavender pistachio. I took a strawberry Ooh. lemonade. Um, a funfetti, oh. a biscoff, like a churro cookie oh, butter one. Oh man! And they just these flew. are some new flavors. That well, I mean, everything sounds kind of new because I haven't oh, done anything in so long. <laughs> the chocolate lavender pistachio is the only truly yeah, new one. I've I don't think I've ever tried that one because I made a lavender extract, ah. and then now I know I'm not allergic to pistachios. That's mm. a COVID discovery. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I've been wanting to do something chocolate pistachio and I've been wanting to do something like lavender or rose and pistachio. And I was like, I'm just going to put all these together. It came out really good. Oh, yeah. It was really exciting. It was really fun. I'm still pretty high on the energy, like hauled everything back up to the condo last night. And uh, man, by the time I was done and then I was like, well, I was talking to fr- other friends who showed up and I was like, I need to get some food. And all the lines for food were so long and ever like some of the vendors were already sold out of food at like 730, 745. Wow. Uh, yeah. So um, that's around the same. I mean, like, you know, you sold out around seven. Yeah. You said other vendors were at 7, 730. Uh-huh. Yeah, all yeah. around. I mean, that's it was wild. Such a great turnout. I know. When I saw Josh, like a few minutes after I sold out, I was like, "I'm sorry, don't yell at me." Because, <laughs> like, as an event organizer, the last thing you want to do is like, yeah, have vendors with no food. But then I was like, "Oh, good. Other people are running out too, so it's not just me." Um, like I was a little comforted by that because I literally thought I would come home. I was like, "I can go home. I'll bake four more dozen. I can be back here by nine. <laughs> <laughs> and the event went till ten. Till ten. Okay. Yeah. I ended up going across the street and getting a pizza from Freak Brothers because I was like, I'm not going to stand in line for 30 minutes and maybe not get food from one of the vendors that's left. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to go across the street. End up waiting like 45 minutes for a pizza. It was insane. There were so many people downtown last night. I think it's like the end of our spring season. Everybody's really excited that the weather's still good and they all want to be outside. People are getting vaxxed. Well, they've been cooped up for, you know, 12 plus months. Yeah. People are getting... I saw a meme, uh, I'm vaxxed and waxed. Let's do this. Like, <laughs> like people are ready to go back out in the world. That's hilarious. I know. It's like, I feel you, girl. Oh, man. Yeah. But it was fun. It was really good. good. 
Oh, that's so I'm that's exciting. That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm glad it all worked out. And I know Josh was, you know, a little stressed because oh, so many like meetings and permits and all that stuff. So I'm so happy that it, yeah. it uh, came together. I'm so now, happy for him. How frequent will this occur or is he hoping to make it? Oh, it's a monthly event. Okay, so it'll yeah. be a monthly thing. So we're going to go, well, I won't be there in May, but it's going to run again in May, the okay. second weekend of, it'll be the second Saturday every month. Oh, very much. And he okay. did that to not coincide with other kind of like big mm-hmm. events that happen on the first, there's first, third, and fourth events, like oh. first, third, and fourth weekend events that happen Already. repeatedly. So oh, yeah. he uh, went with the second Saturday to there just, it's easier to not compete oh, yeah. with vendors and oh, yeah. um, trying to get people to come. So, and he's already planning to expand it out. We have permits or I say we, like I'm a part of it. I like own it now. But I mean, it feels like partly my baby because it's been like something I've been so invested in and like, you know, with him and and been a part and been a part of it. And, you know, when I say support, I mean like not even as a vendor, but as a friend, as a colleague, as a peer. I think of all of the events I'm a part of as a we thing. I just, there's not. That's a good mentality to have. Yeah. We don't have a lot of competition in our community. Yeah. It's like, we don't, we don't compete with each other it's just um it's a lot of fun yeah yeah so really good time saw a lot of people I was like wow this is so much fun oh my god I'm so hungry where can I get food (laughs) (laughs) uh, but it was fun and I'm I feel good I feel rested I feel uh not too exhausted today Tell me what's new and good with you, uh, Miss Flight, Miss yes. Pilot. My first flight was actually this morning. That's why I said earlier, like, I've been awake since 4 a.m. <laughs> and that's, that's why I was in bed hour. early and I couldn't come visit you and support you at Vegan Market Night, oh Night Market. But I'm it was so, so crazy. You probably would have had the hardest time getting to us. It was so busy out. <laughs> good. I'm glad. Uh, but yeah, my first flight was uh, this morning, oh, 0600 hours, Ooh. and uh, I was up in the air for about an, uh, 1.2 hours, and uh, so I, I took off on my own with support help from my instructor. Did I flew straight out, and we went over to Luke Approach because the Glendale Airport is right next to the Luke airspace, mm. but during the weekends, Luke is closed, and so you can fly over into their airspace and kind of practice over their field and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, we, we did pre-flight where we looked at all around the airplane to make sure that there were no major issues with the airplane so that it could fly. So it's airworthy. And then we went inside and then he reviewed all of the different instruments and the, the whole panel for me to understand where things were in the panel. So I spoke to ground because you have to ask permission to, to go anywhere. Like if you're going to move anywhere on the airspace, or the field, you need to make sure that ground or tower knows what's going on. So when you're on the ground, you talk to Glendale Ground, and so uh, and you have to request for a taxi. A taxi. So I was like, Glendale Ground, Cessna six four zero five six, North Hangers, North Departure, Information Bravo. Or in this case, I think we were at Information Quebec. But you have to verify like who you're talking to, who you are, where <sighs> you're located, where what where you want to go or what you want to do. Uh, and then you have to let them know that you've reviewed information because every hour there's information about wind, altimeter, uh, the which runway is in use, and they need to make sure that you've reviewed the information, the c- most current information. So that's why I like Glendale t- Ground is who I'm talking to. Cessna 64056 is my call sign, or that's my uh, aircraft number. I'm in the North Hangars. I want a North Departure, and I have information, Quebec which was the information this morning. Listener, that's your free lesson for today. 
I taught you nothing, but there you go. <laughs> and then I, uh, then the, 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 the ground will tell you like, oh, where can you go? And I, in this case, I knew that we were going to be flying from runway one, which is in the direction of 10 degrees, which is north. <laughs> And, this is um, so detailed. And then uh, I learned how to taxi. I taxied all the way down 7,000 feet of runway. All the way down. Well, in this case, the taxiway. But the runway is 7,000 feet. That's like so a mile and a half. Way, yeah, the taxiway is <laughs> equivalent. So uh, I, ta- you know, I taxied all the way down because we're at the north end of the uh, the runway. And uh, runway one is on the other end. So I taxied all the way down. <laughs> oh my. How many times have you said, oh. <laughs> it was really good practice for me taxiing. I was swerving. <laughs> but it was still a lot of fun. Were you swerving all, all the, way. the way down the taxiway? <laughs> and then you get down to the, uh, the runoff where you review your engines and make sure that your engine is working properly. And then, you, you know, you turn on the engine to like full power. And then you see if like. And then there, you know, there's things that you have to check. And then when you think you're good, you then you call Glendale Tower and then mm. you tell them what you want to do. And so then Glendale Tower, Cessna 64056, <laughs> ready for departure. Oh, fudge. I forgot. You have to tell them what runway. <laughs> you got to tell them. No one hears. I know. No one know, here cares. Or <laughs> I know no one cares, but this is good practice for no, me. No one knows what you're. No one knows if you miss a beat. Just be like, hey, Tower, I'm ready to go. So, oh, no, this is good practice. So Glendale Tower, Cessna 64056, Alpha 1 is where I'm at, oh. runway 1 is where I'm going to take off, but you don't say the word take off. The only time you ever say the take the word take off is when the tower tells you to take off and then you repeat everything back. So your ashes was there ready for departure. So oh. Glendale Tower, mm. Cessna 64056, Alpha 1, Runway 1, ready for departure. I'm going to adopt this in my language. Uh, like when I'm ready to leave the office, I'm going to be like, I'm ready for departure. <laughs> yes. And the minute no, I yeah. walk out the door, I'm like, I'm taking off now. <laughs> Maybe you should ask your students like to off. tell them they're ready for to tell you they're ready for departure at the end of I the know, day. I know I should I should practice call signs back and forth yeah, too. Are we ready for departure? <laughs> oh, and then at the end of like your little afternoon you yeah. know session where you guys break down everything, you can be like, all right, take off. Yeah, well, ex- <laughs> exactly. Take off approved. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Bye. Uh, runway one, <laughs> door doorway one. <laughs> but it's like who you are or who you're talking to, who you are, where you're at, what you're gonna do, and then you have to repeat it back. So then when Tower t- tells me like. You know, Cessna 64056, approve for takeoff, runway one. I have to go, approve for takeoff, runway one, Cessna 64056. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it was super fun. So then I took off. <laughs> took off. That's so funny. I'm sorry. So funny. I'm like, wow. And you're like, super fun. <laughs> I, I I pushed my throttle all the way in and I was full power. And Ooh. then I took off at 76 knots. Well, at 55 knots, I rotated the wheel back and I lifted <laughs> off and then I got up to 76 knots and I cruised all the way up to 4,500 uh, altitude and then I took it all the way over to Luke uh, approach and then we practiced turns left and right and then um, I learned how to ascend and descend with my throttle. Mm. And then we turned around and came back. And then when we were coming back, so when you're on your way back. We should video record these because Miley does the whole thing (laughs) hand signaling. (laughs) Even even the word throttle gets a hand motion. Yes. She pulls it in and out with her hand every time she says it. You should really watch me 
do my my brief so if you ever fly with me i have to do a passenger brief before we take if off. i ever fly well, with because you. the other day you were saying like you might not do it since we have a single engine and it's gonna be probably oh, yeah. like a couple years before if if i ever get my multi-engine if you keep reminding me that it's a single engine <laughs> i'll probably not okay. be so excited so, but yeah, if forget i forget about the whole single engine when you when you fly with me right before we uh go like hold short of the runway i'll have to go over a whole passenger briefing about what happens if there's an emergency and during the emergency i talk you through like what happens and during that thing is like you know when i put put push, push in or uh pull back the throttle and i go through all the hand motions when i'm doing the, the briefing too <laughs> but anyways so i expect nothing less <laughs> good i'm glad because we're all visual creatures so i like to make sure you know exactly where i'm turning <laughs> and so you would think you're, i know this is like a stereotype but you would think you're part italian we have so many hand gestures <laughs> like have you ever heard that you know, the Italians maybe. talk with their hands yeah. pretty heavily. One would think that you're like part Italian. I might be. You might be. You never know. You just know. It's true. Exactly. I've never done a me and three twenty three thing. Twenty three and me. Yeah. <laughs> a DNA test. Yeah, but you know, I could be Italian. I could be a lot of things. Uh, you'd get along great with an Italian, I think. Mm, I do usually. I Talkative, mean, big, yeah. warm families. Yeah, maybe I should find myself an Italian. That's what I was just Anybody thinking. Anybody know anyone who's Italian? My brother really wants me back on the dating market. He says, he goes, he goes. You have one month to go, Missy. Three weeks. Oh, right. Because we're doing that thing. But even though, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm glad that we're doing that thing where like, you know, no dating for a month because it gives me an excuse not to date <laughs> on top of my other excuse of not yeah. dating. Just simply, I don't want to date. <laughs> but apparently sometimes me not wanting to date is not a good enough reason for other people. So for other people, I'm like. I don't want to date. Plus, I'm taking a class that tells me that I'm not allowed to date. So that's two reasons why I can't date for the next four weeks. It's okay to not want to date. Exactly. But, you know, I love my brother to death. I have he... a whole month to think about an Italian person <laughs> exactly. to set you up exactly. with. Exactly. And listeners, if you know anyone Italian, please put them on deck. Tell them May 1st. <laughs> Ready for departure. Ready for departure. <laughs> Not quite take off, but um, departure May 1st. Maybe, yes. um, I'll consider uh, May 1st. And uh, But my brother says, like, I have time. I just don't have time to waste. I mean, I did make an Instagram post that says... Yes, you did. The problem is you think you have time. Right. And it was more about... You can apply that in any way you really want to. But in my head, it was, like, about kind of uh procrastination exactly. and the things we put off because mm-hmm. we we put them off out of a place of unworthiness a lot of times like we don't think we're worth the success or the good thing that will come by doing the thing we want so yeah it was like get people just kind of thinking like what are the big things you put off every day when you're sitting around watching fucking netflix or you know doing nothing um even on that like on that same note like for me i totally get when you say that Another thing that also comes to mind is also like putting off conversations, putting off decisions, putting off like overcoming fears that you have. Like sometimes you distract yourself with all of these things because you're so afraid of what might happen if you go for something or if you don't go for something, you don't realize that you're, you know, that you might be wasting time that you could find out the answer to an unasked question and not waste more time. So and to be fair, a lot of those unanswered questions about ourselves Mm -hmm. happen through the activity of dating. Yes, I know. That's a hard place for me right now. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to no, be ready to date right now, but I think when your it brother is, yeah. thinks this, I think he thinks like, 
you know, he, he comes from a good place with yeah. him. He's not just trying to like marry you off and get rid no. of you kind of thing. And none of us are. I want you all to myself. I prefer you <laughs> don't date. So fine. Stay single forever. Be mine. All mine. <laughs> I'll keep you. <laughs> yes. And so, but yes, yeah, so no dating, but what, oh yeah, Italian. Oh yes. And then, so. Talking with um, your hands, pulling on right. the throttle. So then I was coming back towards Glendale Airport. We were finishing up and there was, you know, you have to tell Glendale Airport that you're on your way back. So I'm saying like Glendale Tower, Cessna 64056, 10 miles out, coming in for, or inbound for uh, touch and goes. And touch and goes is where mm. you land and then you lift off again or you mm-hmm. take off again. And so I'm saying like inbound for touch and goes. And then I was so nervous that the tower responded and I didn't hear what he said. And then I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. You said, uh-oh? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know not to say that. You're a dentist. <laughs> you know not to say, uh-oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> they were like, um, come again? <laughs> So then my instructor came Fuck. in and he repeated the directions back to the tower. And I hear him and I'm thinking in my head, it's like, this guy in the tower hears a girl's voice one minute and then hears a guy's voice the next minute. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he knew that I was a student pilot because I... Oh, do you get to put one of those little magnets on your car that says like student driver? <laughs> stay back 10 feet. <laughs> in this case, you want to stay back a thousand feet or sh- or more. <laughs> Dude, they should make those for planes. <laughs> like a flag that has to like trail on your plane <laughs> or something like a hot pink like yeah. ticket. It's like lets everybody know you're practicing. <laughs> Actually, now I think I want to make that a thing. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yes. I'm going to Photoshop one of my pictures with that. <laughs> student driver. Yeah, student pilot. Student pilot, stay back a thousand feet. <laughs> Yeah. And so, uh, but I'm pretty sure he knew as a student because one, there's not very many female pilots, let alone female student pilots. But two, when I was talking to Tower, I was so slow to make sure that I said everything correctly because most people, they've been saying, like pilots, they say it so, it it comes just so naturally, like who you're talking to, who you are, where you're at, what you want to do and information. So like those five things, like you're just so used to saying it, you say it so fast mm-hmm. that I was saying it so slow. I'm pretty sure he knew as a student. He's like, come on now. Hurry up, lady. <laughs> this girl's slow. Why she talk so slow? <laughs> Anyways, that was my morning. And so that's something new and good. I'm really excited. And awesome. it was really awesome to have uh, have my first flight mission under my belt. And I'm looking forward to my next mission. And So how many hours do you log in the air now before you test? Uh, well... So, 30, uh, 40. so the internet says average like 40 to 50. Okay. But my instructor said that, I mean, he's an instructor at the university and he's training, I don't know, a lot of students. And so he's saying like on average, his students take about 65 hours. Okay. So I'm at 2.8 now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, you're like uh, 3% of the way yeah. there. Yeah, I'm on my way. I'm mm-hmm. on my way up. Yeah. I'm a lot further now than I was 10 months ago. So. Amen. I am on the registry now. So if you look up the, because ever since 9-11, <laughs> all pilots, your information is like out there for the public mm. because of 9-11. Sure. So like if you look on the pilot um, FAA website registry, 
I am officially on the registry. That's so cute. So you look up me and I am a pilot. Well, a student pilot. It says I'm a student pilot. But Look at you. All public. But I know. My brother's very nervous about it. <laughs> he doesn't like this that This is I'm bad for your current condition, though, because like what you're currently trying to do is, is be more open. Like not necessarily publicly visible, yeah. like in a dangerous way, but like talk about yourself. Be comfortable talking about yourself. Stop deflecting and asking everybody else questions about themselves in order to avoid talking about yourself. Yeah, I was doing that a little bit today with my therapy. Were you asking your therapist questions? Did you interview your therapist? I like to ask her questions. I mean, she's married to someone who's Vietnamese. And so we were Mm. talking a little bit about cultural differences. Okay. And how like, you know, my ex may, may have not understood some of the cultural things that I have faced or, you know, like some of the cultural upbringing that I've had and he may not have understood that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and so she was saying like, that's something that she and she had to kind of uh, go through with her husband because he's, he was actually, he's more Vietnamese than I am. (laughs) He was born and raised in Vietnam and came over here when he was 13. I was born and raised here in America. Yeah. Yeah. So like, dude, I like how you just said America. Well, because someone else was saying (laughs) it the other day and I, oh, my brother was saying it. So I was like, America. You're like, America. Uh, but yeah, so he's more Vietnamese than I am. And and she's Caucasian. Yeah. So she was telling me, she was trying to explain to, to me that, you know, sometimes when two people from different backgrounds come together, like there has to be this willingness to understand that maybe, you know, one person has a tendency for acting a certain way or not acting a certain way based on their upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Asian upbringing is very like, there's a group mentality. There's a like... Um, kind of uh this thinking of uh, determining when there's an issue like is the issue that big of a deal to bring up will it cause friction or issues with everyone involved or is it something that is a minor issue and is it worth talking about so like determining when is the appropriate mm-hmm. time to at like and and what is an appropriate issue to actually make a, a you know a, a, a big a bigger deal out of i guess yeah and so, or I guess in her context, she was saying like, sometimes, you know, he would hold back when something bothered him because in his mind, it wasn't that big of a deal. In her mind, she was raised like, if you have a problem about anything, whether it's a small problem or a big problem, you talk about it or you tell the other person. And the way like him and I were raised, like the big deals are the big problems are the ones that you bring up. The small problems, if they're not going to make, if they're not going to be a big deal tomorrow or next week, don't even bring it up. Yeah. So the issue with small problems that I see her point in is sometimes the the root, like the actual little thing isn't a problem, but it's like the there's always something behind it that's yeah. a problem. And like then 10 other things happen that are totally different and seemingly unrelated, but it's all the same like root of the problem. And you're like, ah! yeah, and at some point they freak out. And so she, yeah, and that's, she was kind so of like, yeah, it's not always too. important. Like, I don't need to bring up like, you know, it really bothered me that you left that sock on the floor. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> but when there's like 15 things that have this same, um, yeah, it's just, it's, I think, so the uncomfortable part for the other person, like if one person is holding back, if something's a little bothersome until they work through it, I think the other person, it's easy to be uncomfortable not knowing. Right. Yeah. It's like if you just tell exactly. me like she this kind of bothered me and I don't think it's really a big deal. So I don't think I really need to talk about it. yet. I'm going to think about it and I'll let you know if it's anything. Yeah. And that's why she she was saying like I had to kind of find a balance and understand that he's not hiding something from me intentionally or for some bad reason. I had to learn that like 
he was working through it to determine if it was worth mentioning or not. Yeah. And, you know, and it's very similar in the situation with my ex about how like I was whenever there was an issue, I took time to kind of figure out, like, is it worth talking about it? And if I do want to talk about it, how do I go about talking about it? And it wasn't that I was hiding things. It was I was still working through it. And she was kind of just saying, like, sometimes when you grow up with different backgrounds, two people come together, you have to kind of be willing and open to understand that there might not there might be a different reason than that person hiding something for a bad reason, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And yeah, I think. And if you always just default to the mentality that people are hiding things from you and then they're hiding things from you for bad reasons, you should investigate that. Right. It's a little paranoid. A little bit. Yeah. And that's why I struggle so much, because if I hide something, I don't think I don't do it intentionally. Like, I'm not even aware that I'm probably, you know, like that's the part that confuses me a lot. And I was talking to her about it, too. And I was like. You know, and that's why I asked her, this is a long explanation of why I was asking her questions, but it was just to better understand because yeah. I don't think that I intentionally hide a lot of like hide things for bad reasons. A lot of times I'm still trying to figure things out too, or I just don't think it's a big deal. And I don't, you even... don't think it's a big deal and it's never occurred to you the other side. Yeah. Like the, uh, the other person's view of it right. has never occurred to you. So, so that's the part that's novel and you're trying to like figure out yeah. how like, Oh, this might be happening for them. Like yeah. don't necessarily, ne- you don't necessarily need to like change your behaviors or try to change who you are or what it is about you that makes you, you, but it's just considering what's happening on the other side and how like that person might be feeling. And that's yeah. the fun of relationships and dating, even though it's messy and sticky and weird sometimes it's like, that's kind of the part that makes us grow. Right. Exactly. Like, just kind of what makes us. And I think that's, bigger better humans and how you go about that and figuring out that together with that person is the fun part not everyone's receptive to it yeah and that's like you figure that out and then you just go okay yeah that's the other part like not everything has to work and you know how like uh we were talking earlier about like you you think the problem is you think you have time and i think part of me i thought i had time to figure it out with him you also ran like the, this wasn't a person who wasn't interested in figuring anything out. This was a person who wanted someone to behave exactly the way he wanted them to behave. Yeah. For the most yeah. part, like he wasn't super interested in figuring it out. Yeah. And you know, you're right. Like you think, and that's why I mean, like I thought I had time because yeah. I thought we could figure it out together because both you parties, thought you were on I the assumed, same page. Yes. I thought I assumed <laughs> we both wanted to figure it out and that we didn't have to rush to figure it out. We could take our time figuring it out. He just didn't want to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It's a, some so people, that's why, good. Yeah. I mean, that's not like good, like sad, but good. Like I'm, I'm, it, it stings sometimes in the moment, even when you're just casually dating somebody, but like, I don't know. It takes me like maybe a day to, to flip the script and decide, okay, well that person just told me they're not on my level on the same page. They're not it, like, if they're not interested in diving further into this then like i'm not interested either yeah i that's one of the things that i'm learning like i i I observe and and i admire and i see that in you with many of the situations that you've told me about and i to me it's very resilient and it's actually it's very 
brave and strong in my mind and it gives me like it teaches me and it's something like you're a really good role model for me because i i want to be there and i want to get there like i don't want anybody who doesn't want me exactly you don't want me that's your problem you don't want to put the time into it then i don't want to put the time into it either like yeah and and like i'm not attracted to everybody in the world not everybody has to be attracted to me not everybody's my cup of tea i've i've date gone out on dates with people and Mm -hmm. like i you know i give a lot of people a second date to get over the nerves and stuff like because a lot of people are like nervous and whatever and if after like two dates you're still boring as hell to me i'm like you know what we're just not each other's cup of tea and that's okay and like if somebody tells me that i'm like great saves me from having to tell you (laughs) at some point because you know i probably would have come to the same conclusion at some point so um sometimes i'm really i'm sometimes i think i'm overly patient with trying to like let people get there but sometimes it's sometimes it's really fast i'm just like yeah no two dates and you're just no (laughs) it's a no right away sometimes it's a couple more dates and i'm like I don't really see if there's anything here yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. And then they figure it out. I'm like, oh, good. I probably would have gotten to the same conclusion. Yeah. Like, I, I have to trust that I would have come to the same conclusion. Yeah, that was something like the word trust comes to like comes into a lot of the conversations I have with my therapist too. like trusting yourself, yeah. trusting the process. Um, and part of that is also being self-aware, like mm-hmm. and aware of others, too, and aware of like how you perceive others and how others perceive you and how you interact. And it's it's a lot of like just being like observational, but also taking those observational uh, observations and kind of creating conclusions Mm -hmm. based on like who you are, where you're at, what you want, what you need. Yeah. Work with the facts. A lot of people, we tend to make up a lot of stories too. Mm hmm. Um, and just kind of create drama in our heads that makes things more of a problem than they actually are. So I'm working with the facts in a relationship. It's like you don't have to hypothesize about what the person's thinking. Just ask them. Yeah. <laughs> ask them what they're thinking. Um, talking about stories and talking about uh, all the psychology in yes. general totally leads me into our episode today with Dr. Angela Kenslow. Yes. She talks a lot about, we, we ask her, it's funny how much we go into our stories in the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. and like how many different parts to our story there and are. And how those stories have kind of connected and brought us to where we are yeah. and where we're going as well. Like all of those stories also affect not only who we are today, where, well, you know, how far we've come and where we are today, but also where we want to go and where we want to move forward yes and what we want to write in our story Mm -hmm. next and what stories to create yes it was really fun talking to her this is a a great great episode episode. um it's fun to talk to somebody who's into like really different modalities for therapy and working with veterans and ptsd i think uh, anybody listening will get um some really interesting info on that in this episode for sure. <laughs> I'm so excited for everyone to uh, listen and enjoy the episode. As am I. Enjoy, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Angela Kenslow. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So our listeners, I'm super excited for our listeners to get to know you, Dr. Kenslow, because I've known you for about a year and a half. We met uh, through Valley Leadership, which is a program here in Arizona that kind of introduces people to some of the major issues that Arizona is facing. But through that program, I was able to meet you and you're a clinical psychologist and you've been such a a great player in, in our local community. 
I know that you've been able to reach a larger audience, and so we'll touch base on some of those um, avenues that you've been able to reach a larger audience with. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know that professionally you are a clinical psychologist, but tell us a little bit more about, you know, who you are and what you do and what makes you, sh you know, shine. Oh, that's such an open question. That's like a projective test for a clinical psychologist. Oh, is it? <laughs> Tell me about yourself. Like, and then mini bio. what I say is like, what's the most important part? Oh. Right? <laughs> okay. uh, so for the longest time, when I was in my young 20s and 30s, I always described myself as Tynan's mom because I was a single mom of an only child and Tynan is his son. And uh, it's taken, I'm an empty nester now. He's 29 with his own family. And so it has about the past decade where I have reevaluated how I describe myself, right? I'm more than Tynan's mom. Uh, but my younger years, I had him when I was pretty young. I was pregnant at 19. I had him when I was 20, when I was in the army. And uh, because I had him so young, my formative years, you know, those young 20s was being a mom. And so that was how I identified. Although at the time, you know, I was in the army, I was a soldier, I was in college after I left the army, uh, I owned a couple of businesses, but my identity was Tynan's mom. So that's where I started. Wow. I love that because I'm really big on like, we aren't just one piece of our identity. Like our identity is not just one little piece of our story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We aren't we're we aren't just this one little thing. That's really cool. Who do, so yeah. how do you identify these days? Oh gosh. I think if again, broad question, right? Projected. <laughs> <laughs> I, I when I hear the words identify, because of the current environment, the current zeitgeist, right? Mm -hmm. I think of how I identify racially, which is biracial, part of the black community. I'm I'm biracial white and black. Um, I can't really walk around saying I'm white. So that's why I say part of the black uh, community, because most people see me as a black woman or a biracial woman, right? Uh, I identify as heterosexual. Um, I identify as a woman. And so just when I hear that now, just I, and that might be more my psychology mind or just everything that's going on now. When I hear how do you identify that? That's what I think. Of. Um, but outside of that, I, I think I'm a good mom. I think I'm a good friend. Uh, professionally, I have different things on my plate. I think I, I try to do things well that I do tap into. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how to be more specific. I don't really know how to answer that question outside of that. I'll tell you, I, I identify very similar similarly to you. Like if people were like, when I think of that question, I, I do identify as Native American. Um, mm -hmm. It is part of my heritage, so to speak. But that's always the one I've I've always checked that box on the form mm -hmm. since I was a kid. Um, I recently saw like a meme online that said, just because you're not 100 percent of something doesn't mean you're not that thing. Right. And I was like, yes, preach. So I do identify as Native American, uh, a woman, she, her and um, an entrepreneur, a vegan, a foodie and um, all around like a little bit of a, a wine geek wannabe. I like that. I also, like it all narrowed down too. She's like a vegan and a foodie. Well, whenever we talk about this, I always remember uh, that speaker that we had in Valley Leadership about how she's uh, she's talking about storytelling and how we're all made up of different stories. And part of those stories is how we identify ourselves or what led us to 
think and believe the things that you know the things that we are or who we believe we are inside we're all made up all of these different experiences and different stories and so that's why I always like you know um, enjoy hearing people's like how do you see yourself like help me see you better I've taken maybe way too many marketing classes and (laughs) I think for me though it's it's the circle that I'm in so if I'm around you know if I'm at an open mic and I'm around a lot of people who are artsy I'll talk more about my acting background right Mm -hmm. if I'm at an MBA or some type of business event that I'm going to talk about being an MBA. If I'm, you know, with other psychologists that I'm going to talk about, whether they're assessment people or therapy people, I'm going to talk about those things. And so I think a lot of who I am is compartmentalized. I think uh, those who are in my personal life know me as being goofy and loving and funny and sometimes a little bit very direct uh, if something's not the way I like it. So you too. Same. So I, th- I think it really depends on the circle. So that's why I say it's a broad question because we haven't identified what this circle is for, right? It's it's all overarching. So I appreciate it. Yeah, we like to think that we talk to a pretty broad audience, and I don't mean broad in the in the derogatory female term. But I didn't even hear it. Even, <laughs> even though even though there are a lot of women listening. Um, yeah, we talk to a pretty big audience of people who share a lot of different stories. So uh, that's why we aim to have a lot of different types of guests and guests that help us uh, lift each other up, so to speak, and help introduce new ideas and thoughts to sort of shape us even further because we are a culmination of our experiences and you can't grow and become, I don't, I don't always believe in like the more, 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 like you don't always have to be chasing more. Like sometimes you can just be enough, but, um, I like the idea that you, you grow as a person by experiencing and hearing others' points of views, hearing people's struggles and how they've overcome and persevered through the tough times Mm -hmm. is very inspiring to me personally. And I think it's, it's really important to show women how uh, that we can do it. If anyone before you has done it, so can you. Right. Right. I thoroughly agree. I thoroughly agree. And, and thinking about, you know, if, if we're talking about being a part of the women group, right? So I would identify specifically as a divorced woman who at one point was a single mom, who's now an empty nester, who's a grandmother, uh, who's a working yeah. professional, uh, and who is learning how to do crafts with her grandchildren. Kick ass. What kind of crafts are you doing? So we do... We paint. <laughs> okay. Oh, that is awesome. I picked up painting a little. I know, but but my, my face is, is exasperated. Or is that the right word? That's not the right word. Because I'll take painter's tape and do different designs, and then we just paint within the thing. So it's all abstract. Like, I cannot paint very well. Uh, I also bought some pottery wheels. And so my grandkids, and they were kid-level pottery, pottery wheels, so they're really small pots. And my granddaughter, it was her first time ever doing it. And you would think she was a professional and she's just doing her hands and looking <laughs> over and it was just all natural. And I wish I, I used to have her bowl on this table where I'm sitting at now. Um, it's perfect. It's like a perfect little pottery bowl, her first time. And did, so she's- oh, Were you guys taking any guided classes or no, t- you guys were just- no, we did it here at the house. And mine's all lopsided with the whole- <laughs> She's just a natural and she I'm just glances so I... at the instructions and like nails it her first yeah. time out. Yeah. So when I say we're doing crafts, I am learning. 
but aren't we all learning like that's the whole thing like everything yeah. is like everything you can even if you've been doing it for a while there's always room to to learn and especially when I, you share that experience with somebody else you know it's just grandkids. a lot of fun oh yeah i make great sugar cookies now so they can mm. so they can uh, decorate decorate them i thought when your face with the when you said painting you made a face that was a little bit like pained almost i was like oh is paint getting places it's not supposed to be it's just not good <laughs> my sister i have a nephew and my sister grumbles when i'm like whenever i buy him art stuff but the kid loves art like he yeah, likes so to create and he likes to do things i'm like it's not a video game let him do it she's like oh girl and i'll buy him like science experiment kits and she's like oh sister what are you doing to me because you know she's got to clean it all up i'm two thousand miles away <laughs> but i'm like well but you're helping the neurons and oh, yeah. brain, right? You know, All those synapses are, are creating. So tell her it's okay for her to clean up. He is expanding his. Oh yeah. Have him clean it up. But they yeah. have these, so are you, are you talking about those? Like there's like these science kits and then there's also these, uh, these other kits that I'm thinking about is like how to grow plants. Like it'll send you like the whole kit on how to plant seeds and everything and teaches you how to grow a plant. I haven't sent him no? any gardening okay. stuff yet. There's also cooking kits too that you can send to your kids and uh, that mm -hmm. it comes with a little apron and a recipe and all the supplies and then you can cook together. He's got a bunch of that stuff and he loves pancakes. So making pancakes and that kind of co decorating cookies, doing the Easter egg thing, that's all his speed. Um, he used to color with me all the time, but he's 10 now. He doesn't want to do that anymore. So I have to get him like more sciencey stuff, like hands-on, make a mess, you know, get water and shit everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. Stuff my sister has to deal with. So can, can we pick up maybe where you left off? Like, uh, you know, you said that during your formative years, you identified as, you know, a woman in the military and a single mom. Um, and then, you know, how, you know, can you kind of fill in the blanks or maybe start from there and how you transitioned as you changed your identity and or what, you know, like how you identify with and and then get to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I, I joined when I was 17, I started college. So I graduated high school at 17, went to college at 17. And on my 18th birthday, signed my lease to move out of my mom's home and had a roommate. During that second semester of college, my roommate became pregnant. I came home one day and she was gone. She had moved back to her parents' home, didn't tell me anything. And there was no way I was going to be able to afford the rent on my own. So I had to quit college and I got a full-time job. I became an operator. So back then, way back, back in the day, uh, we had directory assistants, 411 or 1411, right? So I was a directory assistance operator this is Angela with City, please. <laughs> oh, wow. And, yeah. And one day, um, and it ended up being a wonderful, a wonderful decision, not knowing what I was doing. So one day someone called in for army recruiting and my thought process was like, why would you go in the army? And I was the operator who would talk to you at this point. I'm 18, right? I'm talking to anyone who would call in. And so I asked the person, why would you go in the army? That's for thugs. That's because that back then it was go to jail or go to the army, right? Yeah. Like that was an option. Is, for is that where the phrase shape up or ship out comes from? Something like this, like get your life together or get on a ship yeah. and get out of here. And now they don't do that anymore. Now it's not jail or military, but back then it still was. This is 1990. And uh, so I joined the army. And when I joined the army though, the good decision that I didn't know I was making 
was when you join the military, there's this law. When you join the military, you can join and be active duty four years voluntary, five years involuntary, and your job, your the company where you work, has to keep your keep you on the rolls as if though you've never left. So you have to get the promotions that you would get even if you had never left, right? Wow. So at the phone company, every six months you get a raise and it takes four years to get to top pay. So the whole time I'm in the army, I live in Korea, I live in Kansas, I live in Germany. Everybody is an operator. They're working mandatory six days overtime. The entire four years, they have to work six days a week. I travel the world. I have a child. <laughs> I get married. I get divorced. And I come back. I'm at top pay. I'm 23, 24 years old, right? No degree, but I have college money. I did complete a couple of um, classes when I was in. And so I never skipped a beat, but then I had all these extra benefits and had this expansion in my world thinking because I've, I've lived in Europe, I've lived in Asia, right? And so um, then went back to school, went back to college. And during college, I had the GI Bill, I had the phone company helping paying for tuition, but I had this little boy who I still needed to support. I bought a house, then I bought a townhouse, then I bought a laundromat and I started a maid service because my thought process was I didn't want him to have the childhood I had financially growing up. We were very, very poor. And so it was whatever I needed to do, I would do. So that's how I became an entrepreneur. It was, I have to make money and I cannot do it without a college degree and work full time for the phone company. So I took a, another leave. I took a, a absence, a college absence for a year. It was the best decision ever. <laughs> um, but that's how I started to become an entrepreneur. So here I was a college student, a veteran, a single mom, a business owner, making it work because I had to, and there was no one there to tell me I couldn't. So oftentimes what I find, right, is that we don't do things because someone tells us we can't do it. But if no one's telling us we can't do it and we do it, we find out that we can. And that's where we're able to have some success without the, the naysayers. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I wanted to be an actor. So I started auditioning and then I was in Witty to Exhale and that started going. And so I have all these little things. And when I tell the story of, oh, I'm, I'm a veteran and or veteran, not veteran, veteran. Um, and I was an actor and I was a business owner and then I went to college and then I got an MBA and then I got a doctorate. People don't think that it's all possible, but we can do whatever it is that we want to do. I really strongly believe we get one life and we should pursue the things that we want. And so that's what I've done. So back to the main story, I describe myself as a multi-potentialite. Oh, I love this. In a multiple different areas of life. Yeah. I like that word. Yeah. Multi-potentialite. Potentialite. I mean, we talk about stuff like this all the time. It's like you do whatever you want. Like I had a little day by day calendar of phrases from women, like influential women. And one of them recently said, it's not who's going to let me, it's who's going to stop me. I love that. Like, I don't know. You don't, you don't give yeah. me permission to decide what I'm going to do. I'm just going right. to go do it. Yeah. Right. right. And as women, you know, we're told from a young age, cross your legs, don't rough house. 
oh, you gotta, you can't do that. Stay in you line, yeah. Stay in line. And so little boys though are socialized differently, right? They're allowed to roughhouse, their legs can be apart, they can do cartwheels, they can do whatever. And so right away we're told and we're socialized that we can't do things. Socialized and boys. sexualized. Yeah, yeah, because you know, Lord, God forbid I have on where you can see my shoulder, right? Because then I'm gonna be sent home from school. The boys get to continue to learn, but my learning is stopped because you know, those boys might see my shoulder and, and be sexually aroused. Or a bra strap. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I, I I was always told to wear like a, you know, I would have to cover my upper chest right here too, you know? So, like, I couldn't wear a V-necks or anything like that. Yeah. As, as, I, I remember shoulders for sure. As a, as a kid in high school, it was like tank tops were a no for girls. And looking right. back, I'm like... That is the most insane thing. Like now, you know, as an adult looking back and seeing how sexualized we make little girls, it's like, yep. just stop. They're children. This isn't a thing until the adults make it one. Right, right. And instead of teaching little girls to be mindful of what boys think, teach boys to be mindful of what boys think. Yeah, exactly. And teach little girls to have autonomy over their body and like, I'm really big on, um, like, I ask my cousin's kids, I'm like, can I have a hug? Like, I don't expect that they will always want to give me a hug. If the little girls and little boys want to give me a hug, then they'll let me know. I'm like, can I have a hug? And my cousins, it's funny, my cousins will be like, thank you so much for asking. Like, I've offered that idea to other family members and they didn't always get it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't really think it's just how I operate. It's like teach little girls girls in general to have autonomy over their bodies and they get to make like the that, decisions yeah, that they, they have a decision yeah yeah you are the boss of your body mm -hmm. super important i recently um i listened to dax shepherd's podcast and his wife kirsten bell has something she tells her kids about sex and whether or not we leave this in the podcast totally up to miley and her editing but um instead of saying the boy puts his penis in the vagina she says the woman puts the boy's penis in the vagina just like oh, flips the yeah. phrasing on it to give you the power mm -hmm. yeah. oh i like that i was like that's so genius i like that so yeah. smart taking our power yeah. back i was just gonna say it changes the way you think about it and the mm -hmm. way you think about yourself too mm -hmm. and your role in the decision making process mm -hmm. yeah yeah i put i put the penis in you mm -hmm. don't i like that yeah yeah so yeah, that's that's actually very powerful. Yeah, yeah I really, don't know where she picked it, it up, really, but it really shifts the thinking and where the power lies. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. I heard it and it, it stuck with me. I'm like, whoa, I need yeah. this. Like, I need to hear that. Yeah. We all need to hear it. We all need to hear things like that more. Mm -hmm. It's amazing too, right? How language shapes things and how language shapes culture and how we view. And so just changing that one, that, that one sentence really does then change the focus of who has the power. And that is huge, right? Even though it's that one sentence, that is very empowering. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that with yeah. me. You're welcome. Yeah. And it's like one word too, if you really think about it, it's one word that changes and shifts the entire yeah, it's power dynamic. Yeah, she puts the penis instead of he puts the penis. Yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. it's just a tiny little change that has a huge impact yeah yeah i'm going to borrow that yeah it's it's i don't know where kirsten bell got it from but or is it kristen kirsten now kirsten. i don't kirsten okay i said it right the first time <laughs> are we kirsten or is it kristen 
I don't know. Now I'm confusing myself regardless. Mm-hmm. Edit okay. it out. I don't care. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, can we hear kind of your journey towards becoming a clinical psychologist? And, and you know, I know you focus on uh, PTSD, trauma, and anxiety. And I think a, especially in the last year, I think mm-hmm. everyone's been experiencing that. But if you weren't already experiencing it, you definitely experienced it in the last year because of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. so what brought, you know, like, uh, can you share with us, like, what kinds of um, experiences or thoughts kind of led you to specialize in this area? Sure. So the reason why I decided to become a psychologist was actually happenstance. So 2008, with everything that was going on back then, I was in business and I was making a really nice income and then in one day it just stopped right because of everything that was going on so i lost everything and there was three things i wanted to be when i was young i wanted to be an actor pilot and a psychologist and so i said well let's i've done acting i have a flight but i think i'll do psychology so that's how i mean it was that simple big decision but it was that simple because i would have never quit work to pursue becoming a psychologist because it's, it's full-time graduate school. You know, you go back to being poor because it's full-time graduate school. And so there we go. Um, but the reason why I chose to focus on active duty military is because I was active duty military. And I really truly believe that when we look at who the heroes are, in our country, it's those who have who have deployed. I'm not a combat vet. I went to Korea. I went to Germany. I didn't deploy, even though Korea was still considered. I was just 30 miles from from North Korea, so it was still hostile. But I, I wasn't carrying my M16 around everywhere that I went. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that those who are active duty deserve the best care possible, and I wanted to be a part of that. And so that's the reason why I decided to focus on PTSD, trauma, anxiety. Um, And so my desire initially was to go back active duty as a psychologist, but I had some health challenges that didn't allow that. And there was one place where I was able to do residency as a civilian with the military. And it's very competitive um, to get a residency spot. There's about 4,000 people each year and about 2,800 spots each year. So a lot of folks have to wait. And um, there were two civilian slots at Tripler Army Medical Center. And in my mind, one of those spots was going to be mine because I'm becoming a psychologist so I can work with active duty military. And now that I can't go back active duty because of health reasons at the time, one of those spots will be mine. And that's what happened. Um, And so the training was outstanding. Uh, although it was an army residency, it was all services that we saw. I was in um, on Oahu in Hawaii, and that even in itself was amazing. I, I would have gone if it was in Podunk, Kentucky. It would have been fine, but it was a, a great bonus. Um, but I just truly, truly believe that those who are signing on the dotted line, who especially those who are in the military now. When I joined the military, we hadn't really been to war since Vietnam. I joined during Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So I was the first cohort. I actually missed deploying to Desert Storm by two weeks. Um, So a lot of the people who I was in the military with did. 
but that was the beginning of us going back to war. So the people who are joining now, that's all they know. So they are intentionally joining the military, knowing that most likely they are going to deploy and most likely see combat. Right? Yeah. And I just think they deserve excellent, excellent care. And, and they're often a, um, an overlooked population. Like, I mean, everybody likes to, we all want to, we all want to recognize our veterans, but I think they come back and their mental health is so, mental health in this country in general is so stigmatized, such a mm. still kind of a hush hush thing. Like not everybody, it's getting better, but like people talking about going to a therapist or a counselor has, I mean, really only entered the zeit like the zeitgeist like the common everyday language in the last year maybe yeah. Yeah. and there's still people where talking about therapy talking about going to see someone for your mental illness or just someone to talk to basically mm-hmm. and even a lot talk of therapy is only yeah. one thing right it's one yeah. aspect like there's so many other different types of like other modalities like emdr and yeah. just a lot of different st- yeah a oh, lot of different we, yeah. stuff can, can we talk a little bit into. about e- edmr in a little EMDR. oh yeah EMDR. <laughs> EMDR. EMDR. movement Stop yeah trying to go to raves it's, it's, she's at no. her edm music <laughs> hey don't be hating i like that kind of music yeah. emdr so yes emdr is eye movement desensitization reprocessing it is one of the trauma therapies that's approved by the dod the department of defense and veteran veteran affairs um, and then now we have this other overarching thing over dod which is defense health agency Prolonged exposure is also a trauma therapy that is uh, approved as well as cognitive processing therapy. So those are the three that I'm trained in that are specific for post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, But you can utilize EMDR for anxiety. You can use it for phobias. You can use it just to feel better in general. Mm -hmm. I like to say, don't quote me on this. You can quote me on this, but don't quote me on this. I like to say EMDR is pretty much like magic. It's not magic, but it feels so magical because one, while it's evidence-based, we don't really know why it works. We know that the bilateral stimulation that the brain then through that bilateral stimulation is processing, um, whatever that trauma was. So what's bilateral stimulation? Bilateral stimulation can be where both hemispheres of the brain are being engaged. So initially it was you know, um, the patient following the provider's fingers side to side. And so their eyes would go back and forth. Now, especially for me, my shoulder would get tired. (laughs) So now we have this big handy dandy light bar, right? Uh, With telehealth being so prevalent, now you'll see a lot of people do where the person is doing their own bilateral stimulation by doing like a butterfly hug and patting their shoulders. Mm -hmm. Or we have things that are theratappers, so they'll buzz in your hands um, alternating or there's headsets where the beep will be in your ears alternating. And so what happens is when we're doing the bilateral stimulation, the person is thinking initially about whatever that traumatic event was. So I'm going to stay focused on, on trauma rather than if it's smoking cessation or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking of, we start off with them thinking about that traumatic event. And then we do a round of bilateral stimulation. So maybe it's, 40 repetitions, right? Each each provider is going to do a little different. So maybe 40 back and forth with the, the bilateral, the BLS. And what happens, and this is where we don't know exactly what the mechanism is, but what's happening is the brain then is processing 
that traumatic event. And the brain will go wherever it needs to go. And so we don't judge what comes up for the person. And we really try to emphasize on don't judge what comes up. So after the bilateral stimulation, I'm going to tell the person like, hey, take a deep breath, you know, let it out. What comes up for you? And whatever that is. So if it's nothing, then we do another set. If it's my cat eating cat food, I'm just, you know, I don't know. Then that's where the brain needed to go. So it's wherever, whatever comes up for them, that's what comes up. But what happens over time uh, in one session over time is that their, their distress when it comes to thinking about that trauma goes down. So we call that a SUDS, a subjective unit of distress scale, right? It's zero to 10. So zero, I have absolutely no distress. When I think about this now in the present, uh, 10, it's as if it's happening right now, right? It's the, the maximum level of distress. And we know that we can experience things that are traumatic that don't continue to cause us distress, right? The example that I like to use and ask folks is, you know, did you ever have a pet when you were little? Most people had a pet, right? Did either of you had a pet when you were little? I did not, but I did have a pet as an adult. Mm-hmm. Okay. As an adult. Oh, I know. See, my example would not work with either. It's okay. I... <laughs> well, let's say, okay. So did either of your pets pass away as an adult? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm so example, sorry. I was scared to answer. So, I know. <laughs> a lot of folks, so that's a generalization, right? So then I mean, I one go- for me might be like, I was in a car accident as a kid. My mom was in a car okay. accident as a child prior to me having a driver's license. Okay. So at that time, did that feel traumatic for you? Sure. Okay. And now when you think about it, do you have any physiological response when you think about it today? No. Right. So, and do you get in cars? All the time. Do you drive? All the time. Right. So although you had something that was traumatic occur when you were younger, your brain did what it needed to do at the time, right? Over a period of time to where it's just a bad memory. There's no avoidance. There's no intrusive memories. There's nothing going on that says that you still relive this traumatic experience. So we know we can experience things that are traumatic and it not continue to affect our present or our future. And that's typically how the brain works, right? So from a diagnostic standpoint, we would call that an acute stress disorder. That's natural, normal. I experienced something traumatic. It just happened, like my luggage getting stolen out of the car. (laughs) Now I don't wanna go to Oakland anymore. Um, But ask me in a year and I might go, right? Yeah. not really traumatic but just i mean like we weren't buckled in in that accident because it was really close to home and there were a bunch of kids in the car and my mom was driving and something happened and she ended up hitting somebody who was driving sort of erratically and like all of us kids kind of got tossed around but like it wasn't a super bad accident but as a as an after effect of that i literally never go anywhere like i buckle my seatbelt within like 10 seconds of being in the car as we should as we should yeah i mean back then i don't know if seatbelt laws were so strict as they are now but it's like i I, I, probably on some subconscious like level i think of that time i was flung from my car seat you know and hit the back of the seat in front of me um and i'm like oh better buckle up because it doesn't matter how fast you're going like you can be tossed around in a vehicle pretty easily yeah and and so i'm still going to say that that's a normal reaction right 
So you have a little kid, they touch the front of the oven when they're little, mom, dad, or caregiver keeps saying, don't touch the oven, it's hot. Don't touch the oven, it's hot. They touch that oven, it's hot. Now what do they do? They don't touch the oven. So I'm still not gonna pathologize you even at that age, putting in that purse that the seatbelt because you learned, oh, we should wear seatbelts, right? Which is a safe thing to do. It's getting really dark in here, sorry ladies. Um, so with EMDR, when we process that, it doesn't mean that PTSD or the effects of a traumatic experience go away in one session, but we're able to get down distress in one session. I had a person once, uh, give me, give me a, a gender, male or female. Male. Male. Uh, give me a race. White. White. And an age. 34. And what branch of the military? I'm sorry? What branch of the military? Air Force. Oh, okay. Okay. So I had a white male, 34-year-old Air Force active duty member. And this person, he was not able to drive over the viaduct on the freeway, right? He had deployed, still active duty, could not drive over the viaduct, would have to get on the freeway, get back off, have to stop at the light, go across, go back up the on-ramp, right? one session of EMDR and he was able to drive straight on the freeway. Hmm. Does that mean that all of his distress is gone? No. Does it mean that he got some of his functioning back? Yes. And that's the goal, right? We want people to not be disordered. We want them to be able to not have impairment in their social life, their academic life, or their professional life. And that's one of the great things about EMDR. I love it. I should be a commercial. I, I loved the, the therapy since I first heard of it from like a friend who is in chiropractics originally and then has veered into some other like modalities and they he talked to me about this years ago and um, just the wild things they were doing with this stuff like even with patients along the like autism spectrum and things like that I was like just mind blown like is this for real can this even be true yeah. and it's continued to amaze me over the last like five years or so, maybe six years that it's grown in um, how it's being used and treating and helping people. Yeah. My, yeah. And I, will, I will give a, a, an ear of caution though, is that when people go online, you'll read things that say you can do it on your own. Do not do it on your own without someone who's trained. Even as a mental health professional, you have to be specifically trained for EMDR. Just because someone is a licensed mental health professional, does not mean that they can do it. Um, but people, because it seems simple, right? But the processing afterwards can be very, very significant. Um, and you don't know where your brain's going to go. You don't know what's going to come up for you. And one of the disclaimers that I give to my patients is, you know, it's kind of like if you were a boxer and you got your nose broken and then it healed on its own, right? And it's all crooked. And so now you're going to the surgeon so they can fix your nose. Well, what do they have to do first? Break it again. Break it, right. They're going to make it hurt. And so with trauma therapy, whichever modality you use, therapy in general could feel like it hurts more first before you get, because you're, you're talking about things and you're processing things that you've likely have been avoiding, right? And so now we're no longer avoiding and it, it can not feel as good. Our brains are so, I mean, we just, there's so much to the brain that we're trying to figure out, right? And our brains are so clever at hiding the things that hurt us in an effort to protect, protect. us 
And these therapies, um, you know, sort of like open the wound to kind of clean it out is how I think of it. Um, And so there's just so much we were going to discover and continue to discover about all the ways our brain tries to protect us that come back to haunt us, so to speak, like I can't drive over the overpass because some shit happened and I haven't necessarily cleaned out that wound. So, yeah, that's so cool. Our brains are amazing, I love the brain. That is, Fantastic. I, you know, my therapist actually mentioned uh, EMDR to me just a few weeks ago um, mm-hmm. about as a potential um, modality to use. And so that's why I've been so fascinated by it. But I, I still don't know much about it. And so I'm assuming, though, this isn't just like a one time kind of thing. Like if it if it ends up being successful with the patient, do you usually do it with several different types of memories or different types of traumatic events in their life? How does it? Yes. So what your provider will do is a trauma history timeline. So there's some questions that 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 person's going to ask you and it's going to prompt from zero, age zero to now, different different types of events. So you'll do a pretty thorough history, whether it causes you distress now or not. So once you do that history, then you're going to go back through and then you're gonna give it your SUDS, that subjective unit of distress scale. And so your provider's going to say, okay, Well, let me back up. I skipped a step. So when you're doing your timeline, you're going to name the event. So as the provider, I don't need to know all of the details of what happened. I don't need to know. If you say coffee cup, right? Because maybe you got hit across the head and the coffee cup broke. I don't know, right? And so you name the target coffee cup. So when I say coffee cup back to you, you know exactly what it is. And so you're going to give it a a scale or a, a suds. And so now what we're going to do is give each of those things a suds. And if it's anything other than a zero, we're going to process that. We're probably, if you're my patient, we're going to start with processing things that are kind of in the middle, like the five, six, seven, because things that are lower suds are probably going to go down and resolve on their own as you process the higher levels of of trauma of suds. So that's like me i mean so i was also in a car accident as an adult right turning mm-hmm. left on a green arrow and someone ran a red light and hit my car basically broadside getting mm-hmm. in a car for the next few weeks maybe yeah. a couple of months was a little bit stressful mm-hmm. but you know i eventually just worked through it and now i have no problem and i have like I'm pretty calm driver as a general rule like I'm not in a hurry to get anywhere uh, I have a pretty normal level of annoyance with other drivers at least I think but yeah like immediately it's hard to get in a car again after you're in an accident like that and I've mm-hmm. I've heard stories of people who have like hit pedestrians and awful things happen and like they have a much harder time getting back behind the wheel and um, those types of things to help them work through that trauma are so key mm-hmm like you don't yeah. have to be stuck. Right. And that's and that going back to, you know, military folks, you know, mm-hmm. our Vietnam folks, we just didn't have these types of tools for them. And so they have lived 40, 50 years with disorder. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, whether it's someone who's military or not, right, um, things can start to become part of our identity. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't have this, who am I, right? So it's a little, it can be more difficult for someone who has been disordered, functioning impaired Mm -hmm. for a longer period of time, you know, decades 
because that's just who I am. When really it's not just who you are, it's how you're responding because of this unresolved traumatic experience. And that's a hard thing, I think, to get a lot of military or veterans to wrap their heads around that they're not just that thing, right? That's not just who they are. And that's probably the biggest hurdle initial it's got to be the initial hurdle to overcome because like I can think of a military friend a lot of his identity is this insanely tough guy who's impenetrable but when you know him he's quite the softy and of animal lover but you know he rides the motorcycle and he does powerlifting and he broke a finger the other day and he's like eh, it's fine duct tape it together you know <laughs> like so there's well, still all these like PTSD type of behaviors and like he recognizes that yeah, I don't but, know about PTSD. I think it's just how military members, you have to think of the age that we are when we join, right? So it's those formative years and it's, in, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Yes. Back then. And so I don't know that that's PTSD. That's just culture. That too. Yeah. That culture of like, this is who you are. Like, just deal with it. Yeah. But I, I almost think when we were talking, you know, when you were talking about some of those characteristics, it also made me think of some friends that I've known that, you know, maybe they grew up in a very abusive home, mm -hmm. um, either, whether it's abusive home or, or verbally abusive or physically abusive home. A lot of those can then translate to trauma later down in adulthood. And maybe that's why a lot of times, you know, they struggle with a lot of communication skills, a lot of relationship um, building or connection with other people. And so that would, you know, I would imagine that's an example of when EMDR or another, you know, one or one of the other two mm -hmm. modalities you were mentioning. There's other trauma therapies as well. Okay. So those are just the But you said there's three that you... Yeah. Yeah. And the other two are prolonged exposure and cognitive processing therapy. Can you do a quick explanation of each of those? Yeah, I'm not sure what prolonged exposure is. Sure, prolonged exposure. So I don't really care for CPT too much, cognitive processing therapy, but prolonged exposure is my number two. Okay. <laughs> so some sometimes people don't like EMDR. They think it's kind of hokey. Like, what do you mean you want my eyes to go back and forth? How does this work? What do you mean you can't tell me how it works? So <laughs> prolonged exposure is, is more in your face trauma therapy. We're going to talk about the trauma and we're going to talk about it over and over and over again until it doesn't cause you distress talking about it. And in addition to that, we are going to do some exposure, some actual in vivo real life exposure. So not just talking, um, but some, maybe some imaginal first depending, but some in vivo stuff. So like, say uh, a person um, car accident and so they just cannot drive right so imaginally we're going to start to have them imagine getting in the car and sitting behind the car seat or the, the the wheel until they no longer have distress imagining that okay so now we're going to imagine you getting in the car turning it on no longer distress okay Imagine you getting in the car, turning it on and driving down the street, no more distress. So we're gonna do that, that's called imaginal. Then we're gonna actually start doing it. Now I want you to get in the car and just sit in the driver's seat. And you're gonna do that and you're gonna huff and you're gonna, your physio, you know, your fight or flight is gonna go, right? Your sympathetic nervous system is probably gonna engage and you're gonna breathe through that. We're gonna work through that to where you can start doing that where there's no distress and then doing all those things. So we're exposing you to the areas of life where you're having some dysfunction or some impairment so that your sympathetic nervous system, your brain 
doesn't recognize this anymore as dangerous because that's what trauma is, right? Mm -hmm. It's this happened to me. So all these other things are dangerous, whatever that is for, for that person. And so however your brain has interpret, da interpreted danger, we're going to rewire that brain so that something as getting in a car is no longer dangerous. Kind of like right. desensitizing the, the, yeah. the experience, yeah. like getting used to it. But yeah. exactly like prolonged exposure, you expose yourself and long enough until it, you know, it doesn't until you're comfortable or at least able to function within that environment. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's like baby steps. It's like getting behind the mm -hmm. wheel. That didn't hurt at all. Mm -hmm. In the car on that didn't hurt at all. And it's just yeah. going until your body's finally like, okay, yeah. now I can do great. this. Yeah. And it's great also for phobias. Um, I was thinking therapy. that as you said yeah. that about like people who are afraid of dogs or water mm -hmm. or flying, flying. Which reminds me, I do want to talk about your pilot dream in a little bit. Let's not forget about that. But, uh, and then I know that you said you're not a big fan of CPT, but what, what exactly is that? Kind of homework. That patients oh. <laughs> okay. That's why we don't like it. We don't like homework. Patient None of us homework. like homework. homework. Yeah. Patients don't really care for, even with prolonged exposure, there's homework, but yeah. not yeah. as much, but CPT, you're writing everything out and then you give it an alternate fact, an alternate ending and. But kind of people, like journaling, but a, a, a yeah. you know even even more of a layer of complexity, like because you just said an alternate ending. rewriting, rewriting, the story. yeah, so rewriting the story, story in your head, and, kind of. And some people love CPT, right? And that's one of the great things of being able to have all kinds of different things in your toolbox. Is that I like EMDR, I love EMDR, I like PE, I don't like CPT. That's me, right? Yeah. And there's other providers who are like, CPT is the way to go. And that's great. And because of their mindset towards that therapy, their patients are probably going to do well with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mine probably won't. <laughs> I think but different I types of trauma might be more conducive yeah. to CPT right. too. In my head, I'm or thinking different modalities like, depending yeah. on, right. So I mean, it's like good to have those as a kid or you grow up as an adult, right. And you're a woman and you have feelings of unworthiness. I think we can all relate to some point in our life being unworthy or less than, and it's like, why do I think that? And maybe a therapist, talk therapist somehow works you down to this point where you were a child and there was some less than moment. You were, you were shown or told or whatever it was that you were unworthy. And it's like, no, I'm not. It's rewriting your story. It's like, I'm not that kid anymore. Now I get to make decisions for myself. The adults around me don't have all the say in everything I do. I'm the adult here. I make the decision. I am worthy. So like in my head, I think CPT, CPT translates to different types of trauma, maybe, maybe more so than... Um, you know, just, uh, or, or more so than like veterans experiences. Well, all three have the same eff efficacy. Mm -hmm. So again, and so that's why I say it's, it's really then what the therapist or that provider kind of goes toward because all three, the, the efficacy is pretty much the same. And like but you said, like some people saying, think EMDR is hokey. So it's right. probably a little bit on the patients, what they're going to receive. Yep. And, and some providers don't like it because they think it's hokey. Um, but with what you're saying, I would do more of an empty chair, right? Mm -hmm. To where with empty chair, so if I'm a woman who, again, same scenario that you're talking about, I'm sitting in a chair, um, but I would talk to that empty chair and I would tell myself or my younger self, my child self, and I would give those words to little me and allow that. And then if I need little me to talk back, now I'm going to go sit in that chair. I'm going to talk to adult me in the chair that I was sitting in as the adult. And 
do it that way. So, but that's again, provider preference, right? So yeah. I really, really like empty chair. Um, also, if it's, you know, someone having challenges with their parent, right? An adult who was abused as a parent or neglect, you know, as a child or neglected. And even if the parent is still living, they can talk to their parent in that empty chair and really say what it is that they want to say. So, yeah. and there's no homework with that. <laughs> get more buy-in. <laughs> yeah, I think journaling is definitely a, a homework that would be maybe harder on the to sell to get people to come back and they're doing it like 20 minutes. I mean, if you're anything like me with homework, I'm doing it 20 minutes before it's due in the parking lot. Like, I swear I did this all week long. I worked on this. <laughs> and they do it in session. They do writing in session as well. So Good. maybe it's because it's just boring for me watching you write. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. I want to talk. Like I'm a, I'm yeah, a talkie. Yeah. I'm like, let's talk this out. Let's w see where it goes. Let's see what happens and see what flies. Like, I think I like writing though, too. I mean, journaling is a fantastic tool. Miley and I, I journal it a all lot, the time. especially in the last year, there's been so much stress in, in many facets of our life. And so I've gone, I've, I've used journaling a lot to be able to, um, just, get a lot of I use it to manage my anxiety a lot I've developed a lot of anxiety in the last year not just with COVID but in my personal life and so journaling has definitely been been a great uh, tool but I'm getting to a point where journaling isn't enough for me and that's why I started therapy uh, to try to find some additional sources of support like, and re yeah. you know resources yeah like journaling always helps me when I'm ruminating on something journaling helps me just like finally write it all down and get it out of my brain and then I'm like oh okay now I can sleep very peacefully again but um yeah I uh I, I imagine it's it's a harder sell to some to get them to write down are everything. you in the mental health profession am I <laughs> no but I'm oh. so I recently <laughs> I do a lot of self self help stuff and I'm okay. just I'm very very receptive to to the whole thing and I discovered it um I was in so there's a long line of like addiction and alcoholism in my family and I discovered it through a series of relationships that I was in that I was choosing a lot of people with those behaviors mm -hmm. and the most recent like long-term relationship ended some time ago but that's kind of how I discovered Al-Anon and then I discovered a lot of this stuff and I started chipping away at a lot of those familial um, traumas and inherited traumas and just kind of all the layers of what I've come from and like I don't have to be that thing like I can change my story and I can change it from here on out for the line so I don't know I just sort of fell into it and I'm fascinated by the way people think and why they do what they do and um, thank you for saying that. I've been toying around with the idea recently of um, doing some style of coaching. So um, I'm looking into programs to do coaching and talk to people about, you know, moving their life in a in a direction that's more positive and suits them and fulfills them. But yeah, I'm very, very fascinated by the whole like, let's figure this out. Like this isn't working for you. Is this working for you? No. Okay. Then what should we do? Mandy has a great way at um, seeing things from a different perspective when, you know, a lot of people come to her and she just naturally is able to kind of uh, understand or bring a different perspective to help people. And she doesn't, 
she guides she naturally does it. She, i don't know if you know what she knows but she naturally asks questions or uh you know helps you guide you know helps you through whatever it is that you're going through and by the end of talking with her you have solutions or you feel a little bit better and so she just naturally does that nice that's a very good yeah. skill to have um thank you and we were actually talking about her interest in coaching because we know that you have a coaching and consulting aspect to your, um, you know, to you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So that's where I focus mostly on organizations uh, and, you know, doing things even like this, where we, we spoke a lot about therapy in this talk, specifically EMDR or trauma therapies. Uh, but typically I'm giving tips and tools on, you know, how to do things, whatever that topic is. Uh, recently I was on the Today Show a couple of times. Yes. I wanted to ask about this. I wanted to talk to you about that. I was like, tell me about Kathy Lee and Hoda. (laughs) Um, uh, well, it was Jenna and Hoda. Oh, it's Jenna now. Yes. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's such a thing Uh, in my brain. It's like stuck in my head that it's Hoda and Kathy Lee, but yeah, it's Jenna now. Um, and so it was amazing working with them, but just giving tips and tools to their audience. So on New Year's Day, it was how to get your life back on track and, you know, just kind of going through the day and and how to do that with everyone working from home. So we started from the the morning of taking your shower, going through the day and then ending with how to have a good night's sleep. And so uh, doing psychoeducation essentially is what I do when it comes to the the consulting business. And then when they had me back at the end of January, uh, we focused more, what did we talk about? Oh, clutter, how to declutter. (laughs) And so the minimalist guys, so it was really cool working with them and working with Jenna and Hoda again. And it was just, you know, how to declutter your thoughts, how to declutter home, how to declutter your life, uh, which I am still working on. So I had a grandfather clock sitting right here and now it's at my son's house. So I'm slowly but surely giving him things. My piano will be coming soon. And the table that my computer is on right now. So this room will... You're like decluttering big stuff. I'm thinking of like the two weeks worth of mail I have sitting on the couch over here. Like I, I'm not a, I'm not a big clutter person. Like I re- like my bedroom, I'm really fanatical about like not having piles of stuff around. Cause I think the less clutter that your brain is calmer and I can. That's exactly what it is because yeah. our brain. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So when our brain has too much to try to figure out, We're wired, and this is something I was going to say earlier, um, but we we skipped over it. We're wired to see bad. We're wired to see danger. We're wired to see what's negative, right? So we have to work on, it's so dark in here, ladies. I'm so sorry. Um, I had the sunlight coming in. I didn't time the sunset, right? No problem at all. (laughs) But we're wired to see what's, what's wrong. And so when there's so much clutter, when, when things are busy, our brain is all over the place trying to figure out what's dangerous, what's dangerous, what's dangerous. And that's why our sympathetic nervous system, our fight or flight starts to engage. And so when we're in an environment where there's so much, even if it's home, right, all that clutter, and we start to feel like, Ugh, it's because our brain is like, we don't know what's dangerous here. So it all is. And so we're preparing you to fight, flee, or freeze. Right. <laughs> and so that's one of the reasons why we need our homes to not be cluttered and to be just kind of calm and soothing and not a lot of stuff. So our brain can see, oh, this space is safe. 
And because it's safe, I can relax, I can digest, I can rest. Yeah, it's so in sleep. I'm really huge on also recently the whole like um, longevity, I guess, in general, and like prolonging my telomeres as long as I possibly can. And I like the last year I the last year. So starting a food business, working full time, starting a food business like I mean, my hours were maxed like I was maxed as a human being a lot of the time and I was sleep was not a super priority for me and the last solid year I would say I've been like I am going to sleep my new thing is I want to sleep seven hours a night and I know for some people they're looking at me like seven hours woman that's not enough but like seven hours was a solid 30 to 40 minute improvement for me so like I'm like baby steps like I want to sleep seven hours and the last couple nights I've hit like seven hours and two minutes seven hours and three minutes like I've been hitting seven hours a little bit recently I got this like Fitbit it tells me how much I sleep I'm like I'm really on it and really trying to sleep well but like our brains don't function if they're not rested and when you were talking about EMDR and the way the eye movements process things in the brain it made me think about a sleep thing I watched recently about our REM sleep and like REM sleep is actually disturbing to your sleep like you don't want to be in a ton of REM because your brain is too busy in the wrong way but um just yeah sleep is so important to being a mentally sound person like i mean just look at how you show up at work like i'm a zombie i'm a terrible manager if i'm tired i don't have the energy to put into my team and like i'm just i'm just not the version of me that i want to be the best version that you want to be to be there as best as you can for the people that you serve or the people that you work with well also cognition right so memory um, ability to focus, irritability, all of that starts to decline when we don't have good sleep or restorative sleep. Yeah, cognition. Oh my gosh, being able to focus on one task at a time and not having 17 things halfway done. I was just, I'm like, I'm done with this. Something needs to go. And it's, we talk about this a lot too, the work-life balance, the myth of work-life balance. It's like what fits one person isn't going to fit the next, but it's like sit down and figure out what's important to you and what you can cut back on to make the important things really shine and take care of you. And like self-care is getting seven, eight or nine hours of sleep for some people. It doesn't have to be about going to the spa. But like, wash your face. Well, yeah, wash your face, brush your teeth and get some sleep. Getting the basic needs done. And then also being more self-aware, right? Like, again, you Mm -hmm. have to kind of be aware of how much sleep you need and really give it to yourself. So that you can be productive. If And then part of that is knowing what your goals are, right? I think your goal is to be productive at work, to be effective at work, um, to get the things that you want accomplished, accomplished. We would think that's people's goals. Right. That's what I say. So like self-awareness is really important. If that's your goal, then do the things that you want yeah. to or need to to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. But again, self-awareness, that might not be your goal. <laughs> yeah. No matter how much sleep I might actually be getting, um, um, what's the word like metaphorically I don't know how much sleep I could really get if I wasn't doing a good job in my day-to-day like if I wasn't highly performing I guess is how I see it then I'm like it doesn't matter how many minutes I'm clocking asleep um, it's more about like the like I'm going to sleep better so to speak when I know I've been the best version of me in those waking hours yeah so I know that um, we, w- we want to be respectful of your time. So I don't know how much more time we have left with you. 
But well, I may have people walking in my oh, door anytime. No problem. Last question. <laughs> well, oh, oh, well, I, I have I have a few more questions. One question is, you know, you I know that you have a book out, and I know that you uh, have been uh, featured on several different things, such as a TED Talk and Arizona Sonora Living, Sonoran mm-hmm. Living. Uh, do you have what What's next for you? What's uh, you know, what are some some things that we can watch out for? So. My goal is my, my, my goal is to continue doing things like this, right? Giving back to the community, uh, moving out of a one-on-one provider role and doing more of the psychoeducation training. Um, I had, when I became a psychologist, I had a, a three-part tiered idea of what my career would look like. And I wanted that to start with military. And that's what I've done. Right, um, and I've done it for for some time now, so I'm I'm pleased with that. My hope is that Hoda and Jenna will ask me to come back again, um, so that would be my hope, and then get on to some additional national shows to be able to just cause change to more folks, and then hopefully have my own show one day. Hell yeah! Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, that's amazing. Make waves. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. We'll put in a good word for you with Thank Jenna you. and Hoda. I'll start sending emails. <laughs> yes. I appreciate it. No, but Susan Casper at Snore and Living has been amazing. Uh, she's ABC 15, Snore and Living. And she was the, the first person to have me on her show. So that's a local Arizona show. And, you know, I've been on there a couple of times. And she's just, she's just a sweet soul. And I enjoy, I enjoy working with her so that's that's a lot of fun and it's always been virtual because it's all been during covid so i have physically been in their studio so hopefully now that covid this thing that'll happen so you have i mean but you've been on movies before so you're familiar with like sets and lights and those big cameras like um that's really fun yeah it's bringing everything together so it's bringing when we talked about like the timeline of what circle are you in right um so being on camera, being on set, and then my business background, I have an MBA, and then psychology. So being able to run my business, working on the business while still in the business, which is what we don't teach, so you're not just be in the business and on, but with this I am, because now we have these new things that weren't happening when I was going through business school, where you're your brand, mm-hmm. right? So you are working in the business if you are the brand. And so yeah. with the Kinsel Consulting, I'm the brand with my clinical business, Purple Heart Behavioral Health, I'm not the brand, right? Purple Heart is the brand. And so as I bring on additional clinicians, they'll still get, patients will still get really good care. Um, But yeah, so it kind of just brings everything together and that's what I want. And I think, you know, we get like, at the beginning of our talk, we get one life, we get one life. And I encourage folks to do what you want to do with your life. Don't let anyone tell you no. Right. There's some things, though, I, I shouldn't say that because there's some things that we will be told no. Like I cannot now go be a fighter jet pilot in the Air Force because I'm too old. <laughs> right. Yeah. There are some things that just are possible. But if it's still possible, don't let anyone tell you no. I got to know with the one life comment, you're giving me strong Gary V vibes. Are you a Gary V follower? No, I'm not. Oh, oh man. Gary yeah. Vaynerchuk. I found him like about five years ago, just before I started 
it was like right as I was really gearing up to start the whole baking business and like decided I was worth it kind of thing. Like, why haven't I done this? So many people tell me to, why don't I believe it kind of thing? Like somehow a friend of mine threw him out on some social media and I was just roped right in. But one of the things he used to always say was, you got one life. Life is, yeah, life seems kind of short, but life is long. And like your first chapter, your second chapter, your third chapter, write them all how you want them to go. Maybe you miss, maybe the first chapter's done, write the second chapter and write the third chapter. And don't, it's not one chapter. Like you it's have an a endless lot amount of, of chapters. Yeah. I mean, I could sit here and say, oh, I was a single mom and now I'm divorced and life is horrible. No, I was a single mom and I'm divorced and life is amazing. A hundred percent. Do that. Yes. Rock on. Yeah. So, you know, like we could, we get to, we get to grow through our Mm -hmm. experiences and relationships, whether they're romantic or friends, business, children, you know what I mean? These are all every, every person gets put in front of us for a reason. And it's like, what are you bringing me today to grow me? And it's like your, your outlook on it is so fantastic and it's infectious and it's clear that you're like you're taking in those lessons and you're like you know what? I'm gonna take it to the next level let me see what you got for me next well I will say this as our our parting words so I will be I'm at the six month countdown to 50 what you yeah, yeah, no yeah. way I was like she when you were talking about like back in the day I was like yeah. she can't be that much older than me <laughs> I'll be 50 in October and so for these six months the, the gift that I'm giving to myself, right? Because everyone thinks 50 milestone, which I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not having a big party. I'm not going to do a big trip. My gift to myself is a healthy well-being. So over the next six months, I'll be focusing on my physical self, you know, my physical health and mental health, you know, how I am emotionally and how I am spiritually. And I'm the only person who can give that to me. Right. So that's the best gift for me. So that's really where I'm at right now from a personal standpoint of what I'm looking for towards the next six months. And I think that as I focus on my healthy well-being, then the other things that I want, right, manifestation. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Oh, that's such a beautiful gift to give to yourself and the, mm-hmm. to focus over the next six months. And, and then hopefully it continues on after that. Right. The, mm-hmm. the whole point is. Yeah. So, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And thank you so much for being with us tonight. It has been such uh, it's been educational, but just a wonderful experience to just get to know you more, to hear your story and to, you know, like be in the bubble of yeah. just all the things that you have yeah. to offer and like your experiences that have made you into this person today. All of them are important and key and clutch. And without them, you wouldn't be you. And I I like that you embody that um, and you spread that message. So thank you. I I think everyone should have an opportunity to talk to the two of you because it's so affirming. (laughs) Yeah, so thank you for that gift tonight. Yeah, you're welcome. You're so welcome. Um, Where can our listeners find you or, uh, you know, connect with you? Social media websites? Yeah, so... um, Facebook at Dr. Angela Kinslow. Okay. Instagram, Dr. Underscore Angela Underscore K. Every place else, Dr. Angela Kinslow. <laughs> Website, Dr. Angela Kinslow.com. Yeah, Dr. Yeah, yeah. for doctor. <laughs> and Kinslow's with a Z and an S. K E N Z S L O W E. 
Perfect. I'll be sure to link all of those in our show notes and on our social media. So um, everybody listening will be able to find you um, both on our Instagram, our Facebook and the show notes, whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. And we are so proud, like I personally am so proud to know you and honored. And and so, you know, I enjoy every interaction I have with you. So thank you again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. Thank you. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, like fun's an understatement, but like it was genuinely fun and informative. It and was interesting. I fun. learned a lot, mm-hmm. and it was great I because I've known about. her for a while, but never really got to dive into some of the, the some of the deeper things, you know, that we were talked about today. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was really fascinating. That's a good word. I like that. It was fascinating. I love that word. Mm-hmm. Love it. And I just really like her overall mindset. I mean, again, we approached the episode with, you know, knowing that she was a clinical psychologist, but then just hearing her mindset about like, this is one life and to hear all of the different stories, experiences that kind of, uh, you know, created who she is today was fascinating to hear. I resonated with a lot of that, like not necessarily all the, all of the specific details of her life, but her approach toward it. She I feel like she uh, it came a little more innately to her. I had mm-hmm. I had some more things to overcome before I understood the things that she understood sooner. But yeah, I, I loved it. It was a great chat and I'm super excited for um, everybody who listened in and yeah, took something from that. Totally. And, and you know, we didn't dive into it, but it's so rad that she had mentioned, you know, when she in her early 20s, she decided, you know, I'm you know, I'm, I'm going to buy a laundry business and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's just, you know, sometimes you think, you know, someone and then you hear like their backstory and you're like, wow, I didn't even know that was part of your history. That is I, so cool. I wanted to be like, you were the original hustler. Yeah. Like oh, she yeah. was hustling. That would be make that, that would make a great, uh, episode title. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give her any names. She's not uh, uh, approving yeah, of, I guess. but <laughs> she was, I mean, that was a hustle yeah. to do all those things. And I, I applaud mean, her for veteran, it. I think she's amazing. Um, motherhood, uh, it's Divorce just, day, yeah. own it. Just, be it oh she's be proud of she it she is so awesome so so thankful that she joined us uh this week and uh we hope you enjoyed the episode friends please follow us on all of the places uh wherever you're listening to this please follow or subscribe to our podcast whatever that platform offers if you're on apple we would love for you to leave us a five-star review and tell other people why they should listen to us and why we're amazing um instagram at the main dish (laughs) podcast and facebook at the main dish pod i've been getting better on my facebook game as promised there are fun things popping up in our facebook story behind the scenes and and i also recently liked our facebook page oh, so yeah, my admin has now <laughs> liked the page my co-admin. a little late to the show and so it's okay i understand all of y'all who is also late to the show i'm late too it's okay better late than never a, so join the late it's a real intimate group right now and we would love to have you on our facebook page and twitter at the main dish pod i think that's yeah, the yeah, other yeah. place that i have going right now um yeah so right. as as we develop more of these things we will keep you tuned thank Thank you so much for listening, yeah, friends. Thank you, thank you. I love you. I love you too.